All across America and around the world, this is Veterans Radio. This is Veterans Radio. And now, your host for today's program, Dale Throneberry. And welcome to Veterans Radio. My name is Dale Throneberry, a CW2 helicopter pilot in Vietnam in 1969. And we want to welcome you to our program today. I am really excited to talk with our guests where you have a new book out from our Beyond Belief series. And it's all about chaplains. And so we're going to be talking with a number of the authors of the stories inside of that particular book uh, this, this afternoon. And I am really pleased to have them on board. I um, got a lot of few things I, can, I need to talk to you about today. Um, uh, a couple of announcements, let's put it that way. All right, so the announcements are as follows. Number one is that there is going to be a virtual veteran symposium, and this is Entrepreneurship in America at Eagles Reign, it says. And this is going to be on Saturday, December 4th uh, from 12 to 3 p.m. at the Second Ebenezer Church in Detroit, Michigan. Uh, the address is 14,601 De Quinter Road, Detroit, Michigan. He says the state of entrepreneurship in America is going to be covered, entrepreneurship 2022 and beyond, diversity and inclusion in corporate America, succession planning, estate planning, veterans and military law, corporate America, a boom for uh, veteran-owned businesses, cybersecurity, existential threats, and so forth. And there are many guests, including one. Uh, there's a Jeff King here. I wonder if he's related to our, our good friend Keith King for Veterans Business Certification Specialist. But again, this is a virtual veteran symposium coming up on the 4th of December. You do need to reserve uh, or get a reservation for this so that they can send you the Zoom link. And that address is Ebenezer Veterans at gmail.com. That's EbenezerVeterans at gmail.com. That's E-B-E-N-E-Z-E-R Veterans at gmail.com. Coming up on December 4th from noon until 3 p.m. Eastern Time, uh, sponsored by the Second Ebenezer Church. Uh, this is like another great opportunity for uh, many of you veterans out there that are transitioning to get information about businesses, entrepreneurship, and where you can get more more and more and more and more information. Any any information is great. I think that's uh, that's exciting. So we want to thank Sid Taylor uh, for notifying us that this symposium was taking place. Uh, speaking of NBDC, NBBDC, I need to make sure that we thank our sponsors. Without our sponsors, we can't do this program, folks. It's just that simple. Um, Number one on our, our sponsor list is Legal Help for Veterans, and Legal Help for Veterans specializes in veteran disability claims. Call Legal Help for Veterans at 800-693-4800, or you can go to their website. That's LegalHelpForVeterans.com. Number two is National Veterans Business Development Council, better known to, better known as NVBDC. They are the nation's leading third party authority for certification of a veteran owned business. For more information on, for, about them, you can go to their website. That's NVBDC.org. Then we've got the Eisenhower Center located in Michigan and Florida that specialize in the treatment of veterans, first responders, athletes, anyone suffering from post-traumatic stress, uh, a TBI or a closed injury. Find out more about their individualized rehabilitation process by calling them at 800-554-5543. 800 
5543, or you can go to their website, EisenhowerCenter.com. The Charles S. Kettles VA Medical Center here in Ann Arbor, Michigan, is a proud sponsor of Veterans Radio, and we are proud supporters of the Charles S. Kettles VA Medical Center in Ann Arbor. We would like to think that we have one of the best, if not the best, uh, VA hospital in the country. Uh, you can learn more about these organizations and their services, as well as how you can support Veterans Radio. Veterans Radio is going uh, by going to our website, that's veteransradio.net, slash our sponsors. We just had our uh, a Facebook fundraiser that went really well, and I want to thank everybody that contributed to that. It's, um, as I said, uh, you know, we're kind of a small organization, but we're trying to get bigger as we go along, and it's because of you and your, your help and support and your corporations that come along and help us out that we're able to expand our listening audience um, pretty much every year since we started. Uh, by the way, it's 18 years now, and uh, we're excited to go for another 18. Somebody told me I'd be 93 when we got to that point. <laughs> but, hey, you never know. We'll do it as, as long as we keep doing it and as long as you keep supporting us. We'll be out there uh, telling the stories of America's veterans. All right. So let's get into our program today. We have our, as our guest, I'm going to introduce everybody here and get everybody in the right frame of mind. Um, we have Doug Stern. Uh, Doug is the, uh, Doug Sterner, excuse me. Doug is the writer, publisher, idea man for, I can't even imagine how many books that Doug has been involved with. But he started this series called Beyond Belief, and we've talked about Navy, and we've talked about pilots, and now today we're going to be talking about chaplains. Also joining us uh, is going to be uh, my partner, Jim Falzon, who is a contributor to this this book, uh, and I want to welcome both of you gentlemen to the program. So, Doug, welcome back to Veterans Radio. Good to be back. By the way, just for the record, the count is now at uh, 85 books in print. And with five more planned before the end of the year. Before the end of the year? Yes. Oh. <laughs> I'll be at 90 books in print going into next year. More than 40,000 pages because these aren't little booklets. They're, uh. No, I know. Guys <laughs> nice can't uh, let, and, and let's be clear. It's C. Douglas Sterner. So when you Google them, you get the C in the right spot. It's not Douglas C. Sterner. It's C. Douglas Sterner. Right, Doug? Yeah. <laughs> Although I'm pretty easy to find on uh, on the internet, I was just thinking. I saw a picture the other day of you standing next to all of your books, and they're over your head. Yes, uh huh. It's uh, my stack of books is taller than I am. Uh, more than twenty million words. That's that. That's amazing. How did you get started in writing all these stories about veterans? Well. My big work, you know, I, I started out writing fiction when I was in high school, and then I wrote some poetry, and then I wrote and recorded music for a few years. When I got into the military history thing, uh, back in the 1990s, I had a website, which Jim is now operating, homeofheroes.com, uh, and I put my work into building a database. I'm working on the only comprehensive database of those Americans who've received awards above the Bronze Star in history. And so that's been my sole focus for basically the last 20 years. I estimate approximately 450,000 awards above the Bronze Star in history. To date, I've digitized close to 300,000 of them. 
And so that's where my whole focus is. Uh, the books were a sideline. Uh, my biggest concern, I'm an old man. I'll be 72 next February. I'm that's, kind of, <laughs> that's not all. That's all relative. Well, next to the other two guys here in the group, we're both old timers. <laughs> you know, as you get to be our age, you start coming to grips with your mortality. And I don't want to see my decades of research, you know, die with me. That's one reason why, you know, I was thrilled to see Jim take the home of heroes and make sure that that's going to go on long after I'm here. And as I, uh, uh, about five years ago, I realized that I could start publishing these books as books that would be here decades after I'm gone. And so uh, I started publishing these in books. Uh, let me segue to the Beyond Belief series. Uh, my work is basically on a daily basis, sitting down and typing up citations for awards. And in the process of doing that, I'm running across some amazing stories. Uh, a little over a year ago, for instance, I was typing up a distinguished service cross about a person in uh, North Africa who was captured, managed to escape, and as he was trying to get back to his lines, he was stopped by Germans, and he had a metal teaspoon in his pocket. And he captured 15 Germans with that teaspoon. They thought he had a gun. Uh took them and their vehicle and going down the road and they ran into another dozen Italian soldiers and he captured them. So he captured nearly 30 enemy soldiers with a teaspoon. And I thought, this is incredible, but I don't have the time to write the story. And so that's when I thought, why not build a team? I can give them ideas. I can give them citations. I can point them to some of these amazing stories and let them write the book. And so we started with one book a year ago released on Veterans Day. It was the first book, Just Beyond Belief, True Stories of American Heroes that Defy Comprehension, including the Teaspoon story. And it turned out so well, and the, all the authors involved uh, did so well. And uh, we're excited about it. I thought, why not serialize it? Kind of like a chicken soup for the veteran soul for, for uh, people with an interest in the military. So I said, let's do another one. But now let's narrow our focus on each book. And so uh, the book that we released on Memorial Day was True Stories of Navy Heroes, and it was about various Navy heroes. The one that I selected for uh, this year on Veterans Day was True Stories of Military Chaplains. And so that brings us to where we're at right now with uh, the third volume. The fourth volume will be out next Memorial Day, and there will be a fifth volume out a year from now. And this is not me writing. This is me just uh, feeding from my vast database of amazing stories, different people. Some are professional writers like Dwight, who's a New York Times bestselling author. Uh, Hope Hodgesek, who's a friend of your show, who did a story on the chaplains. And uh, some are people that have never really written before. And some are very good, and some of them need some help, and that's where Dwight Zimmerman comes in. He's an excellent editor, and so that's where we're at with these books. Right? Yeah, I I, I can understand that. I, uh, uh, Dwight was supposed to be on the program today. I'm not sure exactly where he is. I just sent a text to say, "Hey, are you awake today?" Um, to to remind him. But uh, I've known Dwight. I don't know, 2008, 2009 through the Military Writers Society. And, uh, yeah, he, he's written for everything, it seems like. 
much like you, he's, you know, he's got this unending curiosity uh, about all things military. And um, so we're hoping they can make him make him uh, on later on in the program. Also, uh, as I mentioned earlier, when we were introducing uh, this whole segment about the beyond belief, the true stories of, of military chaplains is uh, Jim Falzone has gotten involved in this. And Jim is, uh, you know, the principal in Legal Health for Veterans and also a, a host here on our program. Uh, he does a program once a month. He does a lot of our podcasting. So, Jim, how did you get wrapped into or, you know, roped into this uh, it's like you have a lot of spare time too. What do we need? There you I go. Can, I can blame it on you, Dale. Um, <laughs> I, I was I was listening to your interview with Dwight and Doug about Beyond Belief on the Navy, and I was fascinated by it. And somewhere in there, Doug said, "You know, I'm working on the next one. I, I want to do it on chaplains, but boy, we got a tight deadline here. I don't know if we'll get this out, but you know, that's that's going to be next." And that resulted in me sending him an email and saying, you know, maybe I can help out a little bit. The next thing I know, I have three chapters uh, that I'm trying to work on and wasn't sure I'd be able to pull it off. So it was really a labor of love. Uh, I think like, I think there's what, 11 or 12 uh, different authors dug on uh, in this book. And, and every one of them is really doing this as a labor of love. And, and honestly, it's a very, uh, every one I looked at was very fascinating. Uh, they cover um, United Methodist Church, Baptists, Catholics, uh, the whole gamut of different uh, uh, types of chaplains. And uh, as you work on these projects, Dale, you just learn a lot, uh, and you certainly get a lot of respect for these men who are there to support the troops. Well, I, I know that... Um... When Gary Lilly, one of their founders of Veterans Radio, um, was quite a religious man, and he was always talking about how the the chaplains would, you know, hold mass on the, you know, on the hood of the jeep. And when actually, when we were we did a remote one time down in Ohio with uh, Sergeant Hack and U.S. Wings, and he had this big 50th anniversary program for Vietnam veterans, and they, he had a Jeep there and a, and a chaplain came down and did mass out in his parking lot. And Gary just said, this is just, just the way it was. And I, I'm, I am shocked by some of the things that these chaplains did too. I, I wasn't that aware with them. I can remember flying some chaplains around, uh, you know, taking them out into the field. And then, you know, most of the chaplains that I knew did not hang out you know, back in the, you know, in the safety of a main base, they were out among the troops because that, that was their definition of what their job was. Um, I, I wanted to talk with you, Doug, about, you know, you, you dedicated this, this particular version of Beyond Belief to two chaplains. And I wondered if you could tell us a little bit about uh, Phil Nicholas or Nichols. Uh, yeah, Phil Nichols. Uh, I met him in 1968. Uh, in Kalispell, Montana, where I was born and spent much of my life. And uh, he had been pastoring for some years in Idaho, and he was preparing to go into the military. And so he moved his family back to Kalispell, Montana, which was his wife's hometown. And uh, he and I got to be, I wouldn't say close friends, but we 
you know, visit from time to time over the Christmas holiday when he was home. And he was going into the military to become a chaplain. Uh, he began his military service the following spring. And uh, I communicated with him by mail once or twice. And then a year later, I joined the military. And I was going through training at Fort Leonard Wood, Missouri, as he was finishing up his uh, military training on chaplaincy. And uh, I I talked to him. I knew I was going to Vietnam because I went through the NCO school, and that was a requirement. Once you finished the school, you went directly to Vietnam. He got to Vietnam about six months ahead of me. I got there in August of 1970. And I sent him a letter and I said, uh, Chaplain Nichols, I'm down here in Dao Tiang and you're up there, um, you know, in the Central Highlands. As soon as I can get a chance to catch a helicopter up there, I'm going to come up and see. And we were both excited, two hometown boys, you know, with the chance to meet up in Vietnam. Uh, and so I uh, had a mission I had to go out on. I was gone for about a week and a half, uh, came back. And my letter was returned to me by the Department of the Army telling me that Chaplain Nichols had been killed in action. He was the last chaplain to be killed in the Vietnam War. And so I knew from the time, uh, I knew if I ever did a book on chaplains, that uh, it would have to be dedicated to Phil Nichols, a hometown boy from my hometown church. That's right. And what about uh, John London? Um, John London is the Lundin is uh, the father of my uh, son-in-law. My son-in-law is currently a U.S. Air Force Lieutenant Colonel in Arizona, spent most of his career with OSI. His father was a colonel, retired as a colonel and as a chaplain. I knew, got to know him, of course, through our kids. He married my daughter and and his son, Douglas Lundane, uh, at... uh, uh, on the beach down there in Gulf Shores, Alabama, the day after my son-in-law got his gold bar at Maxwell Air Force Base. And, uh, <laughs> the book was in progress and uh, already dedicated. Uh, but last summer, uh, Chaplain Lundane, now, of course, a civilian, retired in South Dakota, was uh, burning some trash. and or, or his wife was actually burning some trash. And he went out because the fire got out of control. She went in to call for... Uh, backup for 911. And when she went back out, he had been consumed by the smoke and had fallen into the flames and died unexpectedly. Oh, and my. As both a tribute to him and to my daughter and son in law, uh, I added that second dedication to this book. Okay. All right. Well, we're talking here on Veterans Radio today with C. Doug Sterner and Jim Falsone, <laughs> one of the contributors. <laughs> One of the contributors to the to the book, Beyond Belief, True Stories of U.S. Military mm-hmm. Chaplains That Defy Comprehension. And much like the two previous versions, these stories are some of them are really just beyond belief of what these um, men went through. Uh, so, Doug, I wanted to ask you, because you, the first story in the book is about the four chaplains. And uh, many people, at least uh, many of our listeners, I think, are maybe familiar with that that story. But I'm going to ask you to tell it again. Well, these were four chaplains from different denominations. Uh, there was a Catholic priest. There was a Jewish rabbi. There was two Protestants. Uh, they met while going through the chaplain school at Harvard and became good friends. One of them, George Fox, actually, uh, when he was 17 years old, had run away from home, lied his age, and joined the military and served with an ambulance uh, 
organization in World War One and earned a silver star. Uh, when World War Two began, he went back down and enlisted in the Army. On the same day, his son enlisted in the Marine Corps. Oh, uh, these four chaplains became very, very close. And it speaks to me because religion can very definitely divide us almost as bad as politics can divide us. You know, they say at Thanksgiving dinner, don't talk religion and don't talk politics because we let those things divide us. These four men focused on what they had in common. They were all serving the same heavenly father, even if they were doing it in a different way. And so uh, they became very good friends at the chaplain school. Uh, they shipped out for Europe aboard the USAT Dorchester, an old, uh, luxury cruise liner that was no longer luxurious and was being used as a troop ship. Uh, in the North Atlantic, one day out from port, um, the ship was torpedoed and sank at sea. Uh, during the confusion that followed, the four chaplains remained below trying to guide men up onto deck to safety. Uh, when they got everybody out on deck that they could as the ship was sinking, uh, they were opening the, uh, Walkers up on top of the deck, because many of the men did not, they were supposed to be sleeping with their life jackets, but it was hot and crowded down there, so many of them had not uh, worn their life jackets. So they were passing out life jackets, and when there were no more life jackets, all four chaplains took off their life jackets and put them on other men. And as the survivors were floating in the water or in the life rafts off in the distance, they watched the USAT Dorchester sinking, the last thing they saw was these four chaplains, hands joined together, praying and singing together. Uh, it was an uncommon uh, uh, semblance of the unity that they had. And, of course, all four of them perished and were missing in action. Uh, they became legendary in World War II. I mean, one of the stories in the book uh, tells the story of the uh, Mallory, which sank, and there were right. five chaplains died. And they didn't get as much attention. I didn't even know the story until uh, uh, one of our authors did that story for the book. But the four chaplains became quite well-renowned. They were awarded the uh, Distinguished Service Cross. And then subsequently, uh, Congress established the Chaplain's Medal. Uh, they are the only recipients of the Chaplain's Medal. Uh, during the uh, Truman administration, uh, a chapel was erected, the Chapel of the Four Chaplains, and even now, the Dorchester sank in February, uh, every February, uh, around the country, many military chapels, as well as a few uh, non-military chapels, have special services uh, for the four chaplains. I, I, I think there was even a movie made about them, wasn't there? Yeah, I'm pretty uh, sure. Was there? Okay, I yeah, was not. Yeah, I'm pretty sure there was. Yeah, I, I remember when I was looking at that. Um Jim, I wanted to ask you about one of your stories, and, and uh, I, I thought it was uh, Joseph uh, Lafleur. Yeah, it's actually a great build on the story that Doug just took. Uh, Father Joseph Lafleur uh, similarly died uh, on a ship, uh, giving really his life for others. And and I'll tell them I've told the punchline already, but this was a uh, uh, sort of nowadays we'd call him a nerd. Uh, he always wanted to be a priest. He went into the seminary at 15. Uh, he begged his uh, pastor and his mother to let him go in, and they, they get, finally did get him in. 
And this is at a time in, in the, in Louisiana where he grew up, where things are really tough. Uh, he, they've seen a lot of suffering. The troops coming back from World War One, the Spanish flu, I, what, what I, you know, things you learn when you write, right, Doug? The Great Mississippi Flood of 1927. To me, I'd never heard of it, but it had a great impact in, in, uh, Louisiana. Um, orphan trains, never heard of orphan trains. Orphan trains came out of New York because so many parents had died under the Spanish flu and they just flooded uh, areas like Louisiana and Mississippi with, with, uh, orphans to be adopted d- down in that area. And all of this LaFleur saw in his developmental years. And he asked to, uh, to become a priest, becomes one. And, and, and then before Pearl Harbor decides he needs to volunteer for, uh, the chaplaincy of the army beca- because, um, or I should say the Air Force because, you know, others are going to otherwise be drafted. He sees this as sort of a, uh, a mission where he can get out into the field and, and, uh, uh do God's work at, and, and does so. Um, ends up in the Philippines. Uh, and on December 8th, the day after Pearl Harbor, uh, the Japanese attack, uh, the islands that he's on. And there's a whole sequence of, uh, the U.S. and the Filipinos losing the islands to the Japanese. Uh, his story is one of retreating. But staying with the men, when given an opportunity to leave, because as a chaplain, he's an officer, they'll let him leave. He says, "No, no, no, I'm, uh, uh, you know, I'm, I'm here to stay with the men," and and does that. He's uh, in that same group where that's sort of made famous by the Batan and Corregidor march. Um, and and we all know what happens uh, ultimately is that uh, the Americans have to surrender the islands. Everybody who's, uh, uh, whether you're Filipino or American, you're now a prisoner of war. He spends 29 months uh, as a prisoner of war. And the Japanese prisoner of war camps were uh, horrendous. Uh, their death rate was multiples of the death rates in uh, Germany, prisoner of war camps. And uh, he actually gets his first Distinguished Service Cross awarded to him as a result of his actions uh, on December 8th, uh, in, in the ministering that he did at Clark Field. Um, but that's really that, that first distinguished service cross isn't the end of the story. As they try to retreat to Mindanao, uh, they're, they're, they are just sort of the, the one step ahead of the, the Japanese. Again, he's given an opportunity to get out and he says, I'll, I, I shall stay here. My place is with my men. 29 months later, uh, the Japanese are looking for, uh, folks who will go clear another part of POWs who will go clear another part of for the forests in the Philippines. And he steps in, uh, to take the place of another man. Uh, at this point, 29 months in, these guys are malnourished. They're sick. They've got all the, all the tropical diseases you can think of. They're, they're rail thin and, he steps in for, for another man. Um, because that's where the, he, he feels the spiritual need, needs will end up being. Well, ultimately he gets put on what's called a hell ship. There were a number of these that moved POWs around the Japanese, uh, moved, uh, uh 126,000 Allied prisoners around on these hell ships. So there were 156 voyages. 
But there was no way to know whether those ships had military troops or POWs, and there was a lot of friendly fire instances where American submarines were sinking these Japanese troop uh, ships that turned out to be holding uh, prisoners of war, and that's what happened. He, he was on the Chino Maru. The USS Paddle uh, torpedoed it as the boat was sinking. Uh, he uh, was helping other men get out of the hold because uh, where, where they were staying, not, not unlike the, the story of the four chaplains. Um, and he's last seen uh, assisting other prisoners of war get out of the, out of the hold, off the boat, into the water. Um, uh, 668 men were killed out of the 750 on that ship. And he was uh, killed in that uh, situation, whether it was going down with the ship or by the Japanese uh, guard shooting at him, we don't know. And he was awarded the second, his second Distinguished Service Cross um, uh, as part of that uh, life-ending action. And again, this is a man who, the stories of what he did when a prisoner of war uh, the, the, the rationing, he'd take his food and give it to those in the hospital. Um, uh, it just again, ins- uh, quite inspiring. I think that's probably what, uh, Doug was hoping this would do that, uh, all of these, uh, 26 or so chaplains who are profiled. It's more than that. That's how many chapters there are, but 26 or so chaplains, um, would be inspiring. And I certainly felt that, uh, Joseph Lafleur was inspiring. He is by the Catholic Church today considered a, um, a servant of God, which is the first step on the way to sainthood. So um, the folks down in Louisiana had a chance to talk to some of uh, Father Lafleur's great, great granddaughters, uh, uh, continue to recognize him uh, in, in masses and prayers and, and are working towards seeing him move along that ladder of uh, canonization. Well, I'm sure that I, I realize that there's a, quite a few of these, uh, chaplains that we've, you know, we, we wish we, I wish we had time to talk about all of them, um, you know, that are going to be, uh, are in the, I guess the sequence of, of sainthood, uh, especially, you know, obviously for the priests and so forth. We need to take a real quick break, but when we come back, I did want to talk about another Catholic priest and that is, of uh, Father Capon. And so, Doug, I'll get you to start thinking about that one now. So we're talking with uh, the authors, the, the um, I guess he's the publisher as well, of Beyond Belief, True Stories of U.S. Um, military Chaplains that Defy Comprehension. And one of the contributors is Jim Falzon. So uh, come on back. We're going to talk about a couple of more of these. You're listening to Veterans Radio. The Medal of Honor is the highest award for valor in combat given a member of the Armed Forces of the United States. There have been over 3,400 recipients of the nation's highest award. This is one of them. Chaplain Joseph O'Callaghan, administered to the wounded and dying, led firefighting crews, and directed the jettisoning of live ammunition from his stricken ship. Details after this. If you have a VA claim denied by the Board of Veterans' Appeals, contact Legal Help for Veterans at one 800 693 4800. They're experts in handling cases before the U.S. Court of Appeals for Veterans Claims. Their number again, 1-800-693-4800. Why do I serve in the U.S. Navy? For freedom. Freedom of religion. What America stands for. Why do I serve in the U.S. Navy? For honor. Everybody. And watch out for everybody. 
Freedom to vote. Democracy. Freedom to go outside and play with my kids. A German Navy to serve my country. Every freedom that we have. The right to raise our kids in peace. My little brother. My wife. My kids. Our children's children. The United States Navy. It's not for ourselves alone that we serve. O'Callaghan was serving as chaplain on board the USS Franklin when that vessel was fiercely attacked by enemy Japanese aircraft. Calmly braving the barriers of fire and twisted metal to aid his men and his ship, O'Callaghan groped his way through smoke-filled quarters to the open flight deck and into the midst of violently exploding bombs, shells, rockets, and other armament. With the ship rocked by incessant explosions, with debris and fragments raining down and fires raging in ever-increasing fury, he ministered to the wounded and dying, comforting and encouraging men of all faiths. He organized and led firefighting crews into the blazing inferno on the flight deck. He directed the jettisoning of live ammunition and the flooding of the magazine. He manned a hose to cool hot armed bombs rolling dangerously on the listing deck, continuing his efforts despite searing, suffocating smoke which forced men to fall back gasping. O'Callaghan inspired the officers and men of the Franklin to fight heroically and with profound faith in the face of almost certain death and to return their stricken ship to port. The Medal of Honor series is a production of Veterans Radio. Military veterans touch everyone's life. I'm guessing right now you're thinking of a veteran, a close friend, relative. Maybe it's you. Even the toughest of us sometimes need help but don't know where to turn for support. You don't need special training to help a veteran in your life. We can all help someone going through a difficult time. Learn how you can be there for veterans. Visit VeteransCrisisLine.net. VeteransCrisisLine.net. A message from the U.S. Department of Veterans Affairs. We're back here on Veterans Radio, and we are talking with um, C. Douglas Sterner, publisher and writer. (laughs) I'll call you Doug. I just want to make sure people can find you. Um, And the book we're talking about today is the... um, uh, the beyond belief story of, uh, of chaplains in the military. And I was thinking as, as I was listening to the, uh, uh, Callahan Medal of Honor segment that, uh, Ken Rogie had recorded for us that according to your book, there are 10 chaplains that received medals of honor. Is that correct? Mm-hmm. That's pretty cool. I think that, you know, to, to think about a chaplain, you know, um, receiving the Medal of Honor is, is quite, quite amazing. I think. Um, I need to speed this up a little bit. So, Doug, I wanted to um, have you talk a little bit about Father Capon. We've talked about him a couple of times on the program, but he's also one of the Medal of Honor recipients from Korea. Yes, and uh, truly a great story. A friend of mine was supposed to write his story, uh, David Moore. He's written a story for each of the two previous books. David is one of the few people that uh, I knew in Vietnam that's still alive. And uh, just before the book was supposed to come out, I messaged him and he didn't respond. And his Facebook page was gone. I know he's had some uh, health issues, so I'm hoping he's okay. So I sat down and wrote the story. Of course, Father Capon uh, became a chaplain in World War II, serving late in the war in the uh, China-Burma-India Theater. Uh, during the Korean War, he was serving with the uh, 1st Cavalry Division in Japan when Korea uh, North Korea crossed the 38th parallel, and the 1st Cavalry Division was one of the first uh, U.S. Army divisions sent to Korea uh, to reinforce the Pusan perimeter, the one area where the Americans had withdrawn. Uh, in the early fighting there, he earned a bronze star. 
uh, an American during a retreat had been left behind, and he, with one other man, went out and, under fire and brought him back into safety. Uh, he continued to serve in Korea with the unit when they uh, went north into North Korea uh, in uh, November of 1950, uh, the same time that the Marines were going into the Chosen Reservoir, which was uh, one of the probably most historic battles of the Korean War. First Cavalry Division was just to the west of them uh, outside the uh, reservoir. Uh, the regiment that he was with, uh, the 8th Regiment, uh, wound up facing a terrible horde of uh, Chinese soldiers that had come across the uh, river uh, to reinforce the North Koreans. Uh, he went through a horrible battle. It was the uh, probably the worst losses of the second of the eighth ever sustained in any battle in history. Uh, when they withdrew across the river, uh, Father Capon stayed with uh, a small group of wounded and survivors. There was a wounded uh, Korean or Chinese soldier there. Uh, and that's one thing that stood out among all these chaplains, more than one was decorated for not just helping Americans, but the enemy. Uh, he was taken as a prisoner of war in the POW camp. He uh, helped others. He saved lives. He uh, stole uh, food and medicine. And uh, I don't recall, it's in the book. He, he, he always talked about praying to this particular uh, patron saint, the good thief, is how he uh, justified stealing stuff for uh, uh, for the camp. It's based on one of the two thieves that was crucified with Jesus, the one that repented. Um, he became very ill in the prison camp and subsequently died. It was um, a real problem for both the North Koreans and the Chinese, as well as for the prisoners, because he was so well-respected. The uh, Chinese and the North Koreans considered him an agitator, but they couldn't do anything about him because they figured it would cause a rebellion in the camp. After he died, one of the prisoners, who happened to be Jewish by faith, uh, scrounged some wood and carved a four-foot crucifix uh, as a tribute to Father Capon. And when the, uh, the POWs were repatriated in 1953, when they came back across the, the border or across the bridge at Panmunjom, they brought with them that four-foot wooden crucifix created by a Jewish POW in that prison camp in tribute to Father Capon. It's an amazing story. It turned out to be quite a hero. It, it, it is an amazing story. And I, it's, I see that we're, we're being joined by Pamela Sterner, I hope. And yeah, I thought we'd throw a little eye candy in here for you. Can I yeah. introduce her? Yes, please do. Yes, this woman has been my wife for 47 or 46, going on 47 years. We are... Uh, the ultimate, uh, couple. We do everything together. We've spent our whole lives working together. In the 1990s, Pam started bringing Medal of Honor recipients into Pueblo. She's not a veteran, but she's married to one. And so she's always been active in veterans activities and, uh, bringing these Medal of Honor recipients into Pueblo and renting the city park. Uh, for a whole day on the 4th of July to make everything in Pueblo free to all families in Pueblo, uh, which is where Pueblo finally became America's home of heroes. Uh, she's followed my work. We work together. Everything we do, we do together. Uh, when she was in college, she went to college late in life. 
She wrote a paper that became the Stolen Valor Act. This is a woman who is singularly responsible for passage of the Stolen Valor Act. And we continue to do everything together. Just uh, three weeks ago, she works for Volunteers of America and a family at a city about 60 miles away had lost a family member and they donated a four bedroom house full of furniture and materials uh, to Pam for Volunteers of America to help homeless veterans here. And I wound up spending five days making six trips back and forth, hauling all that stuff, which at my age was no easy task, but we're a team. So we do everything together. I think that's great. I was going to, I, uh, and, and Pamela is a contributor to the story, uh, to the book. She, she wrote the story on, um, Father O'Neill, Father James O'Neill. And I didn't know if you wanted to tell that story or we'll just have to let our guests do that. And I know that you're, um, kind of short on time. So let me just kind of basically say that writing the story about Father James O'Neill was especially important to me because he has some roots here in Pueblo, the home of heroes, which is really super exciting to us. Um, he did to, to go to the Philippines for a couple of tours, and then eventually he ended up being um, with General Patton. And if I can kind of look at my notes here, it, he entered the U.S. Chaplain Service at ni- in 1926. In 1944, he was assigned to headquarters General George S. Patton. Um, they have been working together quite a bit. And Father um, O'Neill was really impressed with um, General Patton's um, devotion to God and and um, felt that he was a very amazing military leader. And they've been having some really horrible weather in December. Then about eight days before the Battle of the Bulge, um, the general decided that they needed some extra help, you know, maybe some divine intervention. So he said, we need a prayer for this weather to just cease so that we can actually be able to defeat the enemy. So we called on Father O'Neill. And Father O'Neill actually looked to see if there was already a prayer for weather, but he couldn't find one. So he did decide to write a a prayer himself. And this is a very well-known Patton's prayer, um, which, uh, to be perfectly honest with you, I didn't originally know that um, a, a priest that had served here in Pueblo was responsible for. So that was extremely exciting to us. He's actually buried here in Pueblo and Roseland Cemetery, too. So. Well, that, I think that this is a great storybook for anybody out there who wants to know uh, just stories of regular people uh, who have done things, you know, extraordinary. Beyond belief, true stories of U.S. military chaplains that defy comprehension. Uh, I wish we had m- more time so we could go through even more of these stories, but they range, they range from, you know, civil war all the way up through Iraq, Afghanistan, uh, chaplains and the, these particular men just, it's not only beyond belief. It's beyond your imagination. I'm telling my listeners this. You can't believe what these men went through, what they did, and they didn't carry any weapons. All they had was God on their side. And uh, they did everything they could to take care of their troops. Um, I, mean, I know the book is available now, Doug, right? Let me mention that it is not only available in paperback, but now it's also available in hardback for those who like hardback books. In fact, uh, I just recently found out that we had that option. So all three Beyond Belief books are available in paperback or in hardback. Okay. Okay. I got to jump in. I know you got no time, but 
the, the, I had the chance to write on Reverend Dale C. White, uh, who got the Bronze Star in Iraq. But more importantly, he's one of the living guys who was in the book. I got to interview him, and there's a podcast up on Veterans Radio Podcast, about a 45-minute discussion with uh, Reverend White. you got to listen to it because you're going to find out how his wife got him into military service. <laughs> There you go, folks. This is why you listen to Veterans Radio. You, you get the inside story and the backstories on all of these things. I want to thank both of you so much, all three of you now, for being on our program today. And again, I encourage, this is make a great Christmas present, folks. A great Christmas present for anybody you know that's in the military, especially if you follow, if you read those other books, uh, you know, the ones that are called uh, Chicken Soup for the Veteran. This, this is, belongs there right next to it. So again, I want to thank all of you for being on our program today. I hope to have you back next Memorial Day with the next version. What's what's the topic on that one? Do you know? The next book is Civilian Heroes. These are some civilians who served with the military and Associated Press reporter in Korea that got the Silver Star for pulling wounded out under fire. Uh, Or American heroes like the Silver Star Vietnam War recipient that as a civilian was the hero during the uh, bombing of the uh, Twin Towers in New York in 2001. Oh, I didn't know that. Oh, all right. Don't tell any more. We got to see that. All right. Thank you all very much for being on the program. I appreciate it. And have a very, very happy Thanksgiving with you and your families. All right. We are not going to take a break. We're going to go right into our interview right now. We we did an interview with a member of the NVBDC. Remember, that's the that we wanted you to listen to. Uh, we've been spotlighting uh, one of the businesses that have gotten their certification through NVBDC, and uh, this is going to be one of them. So we're going to go to that one right now. Welcome. I am Jim Fossone, and this is Veteran Radio's Spotlight on National Veteran Business Development Council, nvbdc.org. Veterans Radio America, a nonprofit, has a partnership with NVBDC. The National Veteran Business Development Council is the nation's leading third-party authority for certification of veteran-owned businesses of all sizes. It is a 501c3 nonprofit that was established in 2013. It addresses the growing need to identify and certify both service-disabled and veteran-owned businesses in the government and commercial or corporate marketplace. The NVBDC administers a rigorous certification process designed to withstand the scrutiny of governmental and corporate entities seeking to utilize certified veteran-owned businesses. We want to welcome to Veterans Radio today Sherry Dixon, who is the Senior Manager of Global Supplier Diversity for Edient, which is a global supplier of uh, automobile uh, seating systems that we're going to talk about a little bit. Some people may know the company by its uh, historical name of Johnson Controls. Sherry, welcome to Veterans Radio. Thank you, Jim and NVBDC, for the spotlight to share about Adiant and our commitment to engage with veteran-owned businesses. It's an honor to be here. Well, we're glad to have you to shed a little light on this. And you've been working in this field uh, most of your professional life, you hold a bachelor's uh, degree in administration from Walsh College, uh, and you've received numerous awards for work in supplier diversity, uh, including being named 
a top 100 leader in supplier diversity by Women's Enterprise Magazine and by uh, M, uh, the Mission uh, Business Council uh, for, as a corporate advocate of the year. But the question I guess I want to start with, uh, Sherry, is why is supplier diversity important to Adiant? So our why. We are committed to having a supply chain that mirrors the diversity of the consumers who sit in our seats, and that includes our veterans and their families. So in 2017, we officially embraced the opportunity to include our veterans in our initiatives, um, recording our first purchases with veteran-owned businesses that following year in 2018. And since then, we have grown that number today to be well over 300%. Wow, that's a great track record. Um, and, and we are really real, excited about that. Yeah, it really demonstrates a corporate commitment to supplier diversity and in particular to uh, veteran business owners. Why did you get involved with NVBDC? Again, you know, we, we had a supplier diversity initiative that, you know, really covered, you know, the minorities and the women, but we didn't uh, include the veterans or make them. They were included, but an intentional effort to include veterans. So, like I said, back in 2017, you know, we put a plan together to embrace that group of uh, individuals, business owners, to be included into our initiative. And, you know, our commitment starts with our CEO, and it's throughout our executive leadership and you know, we will source from diverse suppliers. That includes veteran-owned businesses, minority and women, and we're going to support the development and their growth. And we also expect our suppliers to implement similar supplier diversity best practices. Um, we have over 28 years of dedication and commitment to supplier diversity diversity initiatives, which includes, as you mentioned, our history as Johnson Controls. And since becoming Adiant, we have spent over $1 billion annually with diverse suppliers. And again, that includes minority women and the veterans. When you were looking for veteran-owned businesses, sometimes it's hard to determine who really is and isn't. And sometimes it's hard to even just sort of find the right channel to network through. Are, are those two things which NVBDC helps you with? Oh, absolutely. Um, actually, early in my supplier diversity career, I had a great opportunity to meet Keith King, and he is such an inspiration and a strong advocator for veteran-owned businesses to make sure that they certify and engage with corporates. And I just... Keith really is an inspiration in this space, and I've I personally have been so inspired by the work NVBDC does to advocate business opportunities for our veterans. He truly is a hero who works tirelessly to ensure that veterans are included in corporate supplier diversity initiatives. I, I just really admire the work um, that Keith has done, and uh, yeah, there's there's really no yeah. Yeah, there's no doubt that he's he's a leader in this field, and, and I think one of the things that you, as a corporate uh, participant with NVBDC, uh, gets is somebody who you can reach out to and say, "Hey, I'm looking for uh, a supplier who does X. Um, do you know any veteran-owned businesses? Have you certified any that fit that category? Have you been able to use that uh, networking opportunity through NVBDC?" 
Absolutely. And it, Keith has a fantastic team. Um, they've got the, you know, a database that is very easy to use to be able to find uh, veteran-owned businesses that we're looking for sourcing opportunities as they come up. Um, I can reach out to anyone on the NVBDC at any time, and they're always quick to respond. Um, just um, a fantastic group of individuals who are really working hard to connect the veteran-owned businesses to opportunities with corporations. Um, Shuri, do you have any uh, examples of a or success stories of, of connecting with a veteran-owned business that you'd like to share? Um, we've got there, there's several examples that we in fact nominated uh, a few veteran-owned businesses for recent recognition. So hopefully, fingers crossed, those come through. But um, you know, actually, every veteran that we've engaged with and have been successful in landing a contract. I mean, they've all been, you know, provided competitive pricing, always willing to work on, you know, any special requests that our buyers may have. Um, Even in the challenging times with COVID, we had, you know, one veteran-owned business, you know, be able to support and execute, you know, critical aspects of our business and and help us out through – you know, our, our needs in the organization. They're always re- resilient and professional. Um, they, the veteran owned businesses participate in our workshops to identify savings opportunities with us. We had, um, one veteran owned business. Um, they're actually d- dual certified minority and veteran owned. You know, it took us six years to land uh, a national contract and, you know, it was just working through you know, the buyers and the barriers, and uh, it was a long process, but it was such a huge win for, for both that veteran-owned business and Adian. Well, we're talking to, and we appreciate uh, Sherry Dixon being um, in the spotlight for NVBDC. She's the Senior Manager of Global Supplier Diversity for Adiant. Okay, that was our NVBDC Spotlight of the Month. And uh, we've got a couple of minutes to go, but I've got two news things that I just wanted to bring up that I was looking at. And this was on military.com. And there's, there's uh, one is entitled, the they're trying to speed up the upgrade of less than honorable discharges for veterans that were discharged because of post-traumatic stress or a TBI. And they got uh, less than honorable and when you get a less than honorable discharge, you are ineligible for many of the benefits that veterans t- can get. And so uh, Senators Gary Peters, Democrat of Michigan, and Steve Daines, Republican of Montana, have are attempting to add this to the National Defense Authorization Act. So I'm encouraging you to contact your senators, uh, congresspeople, and say that you would really like them to add some funds in there to speed up this process. These men and women um, have been for years without being able to get their benefits, and I, I think that's really important. The other thing that I want you to call your Congress people about is the uh, Troops to Teachers program. Uh, this was inside of the Pentagon. It was only $15 million, but uh, since the, uh, it was back in the 1990s that this came about, they let that expire uh, on, the, on the 30th of September. And the idea here being is um, 23,000 veterans 
transitioned into the classroom and we know what's going on with education today. So for $15 million, you can get 23,000 veterans into the classroom. I think it's really important that we support this addition back into the bill. Uh, this is uh, the American Legion is really sponsoring this. So we want you to make sure that you do that. Um, the other things I wanted to cover again, of course, are thank you all very much for listening today. Thank you for your support for Veterans Radio. We can't do this without you, of course. You can always go to veteransradio.net and see our 18 years worth of uh, programming. Listen to, always not TV, but you can listen to our 18 years worth of programming and follow our podcast on pretty much every uh, platform that's out there now. So I really do appreciate that. Until next week, this is Dale Throneberry, and you are dismissed. Happy Thanksgiving. <laughs>